Thank you all for being here on this Mother's Day. It's good to see you in this place, and it's good to be together. It's good to be back with you. Last week, we had our children, two of our children's choirs present the story of Queen Esther. And if you weren't here, you missed a great day. Uh, I think that video was online. You can go back and check it, but there was something about being here. They did a terrific job, and I hope you had a chance to see and hear that. Two weeks ago, I had the privilege of being in the Connect service, and so it's been a while since I've had an opportunity to preach in the traditional service, and I'm glad to be here today, and I'm glad to see all of you, and so many of you on a day that's a bit on the dreary side outside. But we're glad you're here. We welcome you to this place this day. I want to begin, and then I'm going to get to the scripture lesson in just a moment, so I don't think I have forgotten it. If I run right past it, then uh, somebody wave at me. But uh, we'll stop and read from Acts chapter 4 in, uh, in just a moment. But I want to begin with a, a quote about resurrection from one of my favorite authors. And I know from talking with you, many of you have read Frederick Bigner as well, and uh, his little devotional book, Listen to Your Life, is something that I could really, really recommend to you if you're looking for a year-long devotional guide that's uh, really, really stretch your heart and your mind. But anyway, Bigner said the earliest references to the resurrection is St. Paul's, and he makes no mention of an empty tomb at all. But the fact of the matter is that, in a way, it hardly matters how the body of Jesus came to be missing Because in the last analysis, what convinced the people that he had risen from the dead was not the absence of his corpse, but his living presence. And so it has been ever since. His living presence, his body in this world, the the body of Christ that we're called to be a part of. Jesus has been turned loose in the world in and through his church. And so for this Sunday and the next two Sundays... I want to do a a mini-series, so to speak, called a Resurrection-Powered Church. And today we're going to talk about a Resurrection-Powered Church as a bold church. And next week, a Resurrection-Powered Church is a sharing and a generous church. And then two weeks from today, Memorial Day weekend, a Resurrection-Powered Church is an out-of-bounds church. doesn't always play between the lines. So... Keep that in mind. I hope you'll be here for the next couple of Sundays and then beyond that. In June, we're building our worship themes around the four days of our Vacation Bible School, going beyond. And so we're looking forward to that as well. For a little background, we're going to read from Acts chapter 4 in just a moment. Acts chapter 3 is the story of the healing of a man in the temple at the beautiful gate. And uh, Peter's response to that, his sermon preached at the reaction that went along, the astonishment at the healing and all. And so I would encourage you to go back and read the third chapter of Acts when you get a moment, maybe not right this second, but when you get a moment, uh, read that and kind of fill in some of the background there. It's the story of the man who was begging at the temple and, and was healed and uh, he was asking for handouts, asking for something to help him get along till the next day. And the response was, silver and gold, we don't have any. But what we have, we give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. I think sometimes in the church today we say, well, silver and gold, we can probably scare up a little. But what you really need, we need to ask if we have that to offer as well. 
So, for a few minutes, I want us to consider a further response to this healing miracle. Peter, John, the man who had been healed, had been arrested and brought before the council, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, and it was the high priest and his family, and I'm not sure that was a really good idea, but they were all there together, the council, and um, they were interrogating this man about what had happened. And I wonder if Peter and John were wondering what to say, and then maybe they were thinking about these words that Jesus had spoken to them on the other side of the cross before the death and the resurrection. You remember Jesus said, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious how or what you are to say or how you are to answer, for the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. I wonder if they were reassured by that promise. If they even considered that promise, I wonder when we find ourselves in those tough spots, having to defend the position or the faith that we hold so dear, if we remember that the Spirit will guide us and help us to find the right words to make a difference. And now from Acts chapter 4, and I want to begin reading with verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The next day, their rulers... Elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked to ask how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. By him this man is standing before you well. Peter is speaking to the religious skeptics. He's speaking to some who are the political extremists of their day. He might have debated with them the possibility of the resurrection. Remember, the Sadducees were not big on this resurrection thing. There were Sadducees and Pharisees and Essenes and perhaps some other groups as well. The Sadducees, not so big on resurrection. The Pharisees, that was a different story. He might have attacked their alliance with, with Rome. And there was an alliance that had gotten too tight between the religious authorities and the empire. And uh, the religious authorities just wanted to sort of keep a lid on things so that the empire would allow them to function and carry on. And a lot of problems came out of that situation. But Peter simply points to the man past 40 years of age, unable to walk, 
unable even to stand, perhaps, since birth. And the religious and political powers were all there. And we can only dimly picture this, if you will. These two somewhat uneducated men, Peter and John, and also the man who had been healed, the man who had been touched by the power of God. And his only claim to fame was that he could stand up and walk. Now where does Peter get his words? From the message that was heard? From a report of resurrection that had been circulating from the rapidly growing supportive community of Christians, folks whom Jesus had appeared to and they knew and they, they understood. From the man who was healed is maybe from John. John was standing there rather quietly at the moment. But um, maybe he was encouraging Peter as well. Is there a connection between Peter's bold words, his strong words, his words of encouragement and hope even in the face of, of persecution? Is there a connection between Peter's bold sermons now and the gospel tradition that the risen Christ had appeared early on to him? Luke says very simply, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember way back in the, in the book of Exodus, the fourth chapter, the 12th verse? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you should speak. This is the Lord speaking to Moses, wondering what he was going to say to Pharaoh. And so there's always been that kind of thing. When we find ourselves in those situations, what do we say? What do we do? And we worry about that. I worry about that. I suspect some of you do too. The Holy Spirit has promised to provide. Peter was filled with the Spirit, fulfilling the promise of Jesus found elsewhere in the book of Acts over and over again. But this is one of the numerous instances where the Spirit is inspiring the young and struggling church and reminding them that this Jesus is alive, that there is power offering confirmation of its work and its mission to make disciples to care for folk in this world who are broken and hurting. So Peter finds his voice and he said, this is the stone which the builders have rejected, which you builders have rejected, confronting the authorities at that place and that time, which has become the head of the corner and there is salvation in no one else. And it's a bold voice and it's a big voice. It's a loud, strong voice that Peter has found but a voice full of wisdom. As he did in his earlier sermon, Peter mentions here to the council that the man whom they crucified, God had raised from the dead. You hear what Peter's doing? Indirectly, he's telling the religious authorities that they were somewhat responsible for this miracle. If they hadn't put this Jesus to death or been a part of that, then this resurrection wouldn't have happened. And he personalizes that passage. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, you folks who are putting us on the hot seat, who are interrogating us, who are running us through the ringer. This passage which really expressed the divine reversal that had taken place at Easter became deeply embedded in early Christian preaching the rejection and God's response, exaltation and resurrection is the way God responded to the worst 
thing imaginable. In the climax of his defense, Peter straightforwardly locates salvation in no one but Jesus the Christ. There is no salvation. There is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. With this exclusive claim, there's an interesting play on words. Earlier, Peter had asked, if we are being examined by what means this man has been healed, the word for heal is sozo, S-O-Z-O. We also translate it saved in verse 12. So the sermon is operating, Peter's sermon, on two levels. One, the level of the healing of this man who had been unable to stand and unable to walk, but on a deeper level or a broader level, perhaps, it deals with the healing or making whole of everyone under heaven. Peter was not just addressing the Sanhedrin, the council, on one particular day at one place, one moment in time, but for all time, for all of us. I want us to break out our theological maps for a moment and take a look at them. Way over on one side of the map in this corner, way down here, is a little town, a little place called I Don't Know Him. Some of you have been there. Some of you spent some time there. Some of us have spent some time there. And then way up in this other corner of the map, in the top corner, see if you can find a place called No Other Name by which we may be saved. Now, for Peter to get from here on the map to here on the map was not an easy journey. It was a journey made possible by the grace of God. It was an uphill, rocky, rough road. But he made it. Some folks will tell you you can't get from here to there, from, from here to there, but Peter got there by the grace of God, only by the grace of God. Be it known to you all, Peter proclaimed, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here. This man is whole. This man has a future. He has a new life. Charles Wesley's words to describe this from his best-known hymn, Hear him, you deaf, his praise you dumb, your loosened tongues employ. You blind behold your Savior come and leap ye lame for joy. By the name of Jesus, this forgotten, broken man who could barely stand and who could not walk was dancing in the temple. Another reference, another proof text, if you're looking for one, about the question, is it okay to dance in church? It's okay to dance in church if you can. This guy was just all over the temple. He couldn't help it. There is salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven given by which mortals might be made whole. To borrow another preacher's expression, and I heard this years ago, I don't remember who said it just now, but I do remember that I hadn't forgotten it. He said, we need to realize that we've all got some dents in our fenders. In some sense, at some time, somewhere along the way, we've been in darkness. We've been unable to, to move like we would like to move and to go where we need to go. We've been hungry and we've been lost. Hungry because there's an emptiness inside of us. And now we're called on to be bold in our witness and the Spirit will empower us. And bold doesn't always mean loud. It doesn't mean arrogant 
or egotistical or judgmental. But it means strong in knowing what we believe and sharing that with others. Telling the story, singing the story with confidence like we've heard today. Sometimes my voice is as small as a mouse and sometimes my voice is as big as a house. But it's all right. It's all right. It's all right because the song is always beautiful. And the first verse begins, this is the stone which the builders rejected. The one that would be set aside in the gravel pile, the one for which nobody had any use. <laughs> rejected. This is the cornerstone. And the second verse begins, and there is salvation. There's hope, there's healing, and no one else. So let me try to, to wrap up by talking about a resurrection church as a bold church and just a few of my observations and thought about what a bold church looks like. And we can look at ourselves as we look at these four or five things. Number one, a bold church is willing to take an honest look at itself. And I want to thank you for that. We've been doing that. We've been doing some of that. We've been going through a new visioning process, trying to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to this church in this day and in this time. It's so easy to get comfortable and to come to a place where we, we're used to things being like that. And, and then the, the C word gets in the way, the change word gets in the way. But thank you for being willing, a bold church, willing at least to take a look at where we are and what we need to be doing to make sure that this church is always making a difference, trying some new things. A bold church stands up and speaks up for the last, the lost, and the least. It's been through all through Scripture, even in the Old Testament. The prophets calling God's people not to ignore those that we tend to ignore and push to the side and come up with all of these reasons as to why we shouldn't help, why we shouldn't advocate, why we shouldn't walk alongside of these folk who are struggling mightily. A bold church says, yes, I'll walk with you. And I'll hold you up and I'll pick you up. And I'll sit with you when you can't do anything else. A bold church does the right thing, even when the costs are high. And the cost may be popularity in the community or within our body, or it may be money. Sometimes when you struggle to do the right thing, some folks are going to say, well, I don't like that. So I'm going to keep my checkbook in my coat pocket or my pocketbook. A bold church does the right thing, even when it might cost us something. And one other characteristic of a bold church, it knows where its strength and its power comes from. One of my favorite pastors from days past, he's deceased now, but such a terrific guy. Some of you may have known him, Dr. Bob Taylor, Robert Taylor. Um, he told us a long time ago that when he walked into a situation as a pastor and there was a great need, there had been a loss, a death, something tragic had happened, he would always find the person most directly 
touched by what had happened and sit with them for a while and take their hands and look them in the eye and say, you need to remember where your strength comes from. And I thought about that in terms of the church, that there are times when we struggle mightily and we listen for God's word. We need some time just to sit and to remember where our strength comes from. Amen. Mm -hmm.